Yes. Jen. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Flail Forward. It's your host here, Rob. I am hosting tonight along with Carr. Hello. And Catrice. And Catrice. Yep, I'm here. <laughs> and and Cavoir. Uh, yeah, I'm here. Something, something linear <laughs> progression of time. I thought I sounded apathetic. And Mark's here too. Hey, Mark. Hello. Hey. So, oh man, I thought we were just going to keep progressing downward. <laughs> well, it's going to go down for me. <laughs> so tonight we're going to talk about something um, none of us really want to talk about all that much. But... I do. Okay. Three of you said, hey, three of the people here said this was a, a, an important enough topic to talk about. <laughs> it's, important. it's important enough. Yes, it is important enough. It, it hits the threshold of something you need to think about in game design for sure. Uh, and it is perfectly valid to dismiss the entire notion after 30 seconds of thought. You are correct as well. <laughs> so it's a weird one. Uh, and that is battle maps. Why or why not? So to... Well, actually, Catrice, why don't you open up with what you were just saying before the podcast? So, like, it, you know, why or why not? What is there? Is there a definite yes or no answer? You should have a battle grid. I would say there's not a definite answer, and which type of grid that you use, if any, is it's very like there's no clear. This is superior than all other options they each have like the pros and cons kind of thing going on so it's like there's nothing that's really perfect for all situations and even for single situations like how do you measure distance and like radius and area of effect like none of them are really ideal they're all they're all clunky in different ways i don't think we've ever found one that's really particularly good to use but mm. the the reason for why you would use a battle map is because it does help to visualize things and if you're using some things like uh positioning in your game being very important like it is in mine you kind of almost need to have it you don't have to have it but it does help a fair bit so it's one of those things that it's a lot easier to do now than it used to be. Like you don't have to get a bunch of miniatures for it anymore. Like a lot of people can play online with uh, things like map tools or roll D20 or uh, there's like a half dozen really big ones out now. You can even use like tabletop simulator and there's another one on Steam. I forget the name of that's like uh, virtual tabletop. I think it's called. Uh... I don't believe so. Something like that. Anyway. But yeah, yeah there, there's a lot of tools you can use online now that makes it a lot easier. And being able to just bring up like a map and actually see like your character's face as an icon or whatever actually does help in, mm -hmm. you know, keeping track of what's going on, where everyone is and stuff like that. It, yeah. It's not a necessity, but it can be nice. Okay. So what? Okay, well, let's start with. So there's a, those are some good reasons to include a bat, battle map. Um, let's get. I feel like we can get why not to put one in your game out of the way, and if if your game ticks any of these boxes, you can kind of just stop listening after that because <laughs> we're going to be discussing stuff that you don't you don't care about. So what are some reasons oh. that we, that are good reasons to not to not bother with it? Um, I can think of a because few. It's, but go ahead. Because having it and delving into that like highly tactile kind of play mode is not it may not be conducive to your game. Like mm -hmm. if you're doing a story if you're doing a story game, breaking out of battle mats just gonna break the flow of all that. Basically, any time that 
you don't really care about the specific distances of where everyone is in relation to one another, you don't really need a full battle mat. Or even if you do care a little bit, but you only really care about in relation to one another, then you could just use like range bands or zones or whatever, just like close, far away, stuff like that. And that's yeah, range bands really are just on battle map. Yeah. yeah. So let's let's talk about some of the options for for battle map. But let, 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 I want to enumerate, go down to the bottom of like why you wouldn't need one. So there's the story game aspect. I feel like there's certain types of games that you can just if you're if you're aiming for a certain kind of experience, you can just not bother at all. And I feel like there's a number of the a lot of the Power by the Apocalypse games are like this, where they don't. There's no there's no relative distances given except for maybe close and far away. And in games like Bluebeard's Bride or um, oh, Bluebeard's Bride is the one that comes to mind actually most readily because there's no, the, the, there's no combat in the way that most people think about RPG combat. Like there's no hit points. There's no, yeah. The, uh, what, let's talk about a big example that I'm surprised Rob hasn't mentioned that doesn't use battle mounts. Uh, Blades in the Dark as, and any of its uh, any Forge in the Dark game is not going to use a battle map because that doesn't make sense in the context of what your actions are. Like how yeah. you approach things. So, yeah. And that's partially because it's a narrative and partially because actions happen on a grander scale an individual like an individual action can represent a number of smaller doing smaller things and to the extent that the individual positioning at a given time is not important right right i mean how far away you are is going to affect uh like how difficult it is or whatever, but that's not going to be something that you're going to determine with a battle map. And uh, and it's something also that the characters lack is a movement score. It's... Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> if your if your game has no clear uh, rules for moving, you probably don't need a battle map. Just as a heads up, or range, like yeah, if you don't really care about the difference between someone with a bow and someone with a sword, then it just doesn't matter honestly if you aren't even gonna if you're not interested in tactical combat to the point that it's basically like a war game in combat then you probably don't need one at all period i think one of the other ideas is that when you have a, a tactical grid it conveys the idea that there there's a separate phase where you kind of pull out the battle mat and you're paying attention to those tactics um so in certain games where you don't want this stark contrast between in combat and out of combat, I think battle mats uh, don't help that situation. Like it's very much a we care about this a lot right now. The way you're going to take actions is going to be slightly different, and it's going to care a lot more about where you're positioned, um, what is near you, how far are you away from cover, things like this, and that's not central to how you want combat to feel in your game, then you can take the battle mat out and it becomes much more freeform and you're able to incorporate some of the actions from, um, I don't know, more narrative-driven elements of that game into combat. That kind of leads into what I was going to say is that <clears throat> adding a battle mat and the mechanics to support it is a certain amount of crunch that you're game may or may not need mm -hmm. yeah it's that's tricky though because so so in, in okay so the, like i feel like the hard the two hard positions are no battle mat at all and like detailed grid where it's a one-to-one -one measure where it's like you know one movement whatever that is on your character sheet translates into one space on on the grid um, but I feel like there's also some sort of like a various, a number of hybrid type solutions that have been come up with over the years. Um, uh, so Kat mentioned uh, range bands earlier. 
Um, that's one, that's one way of handling it. Zones is another one. Like, so fate uses zones and those are broad areas of abstraction that are separated from each other kind of narratively. They can be a distance thing, but generally speaking, it's like a zone might be, you know, half of a warehouse parking lot and another zone might be the office in the warehouse. So they could be of wildly different sizes, but what matters is the action is going down in that particular physical location and people that can affect the action are present and those that aren't present can't. And it's pretty much only gauging whether or not you can do something to someone else. So it's, it's a grid, but it's, it's very low resolution. Um, it's and a very squishy grid rather than a rigidly yeah. defined grid. Yeah, and it can change. So that's the other thing about the fate zones is that those zones can, you know, move around in combat much more easily than than a grid can in in something like D&D or GURPS. Um, and then range bands are the kind of thing where it's like you want to keep track of range and movement, but you want to you want a very low degree of granularity. You know, you don't mm -hmm. really care that much about you know, feet for the range of a firearm. You just like, okay, it can target out to medium range. And what's medium range? Well, <laughs> how far somebody can shout or, you know, a, a city block or something like that. It's usually abstracted out into some sort of anecdotal concept rather than a precise grid. Um, exactly. And I think yeah. it's easier in certain senses, narratively, able to say, well, I don't know, you have a pistol, and you see someone far away from you, you're out of range, and that's as far as you know the description. Whereas in games that involve range bands, stuff like this, it becomes much more gritty of, okay, well, maybe I can still take the shot, and like my character is really good at this, so I'll take the minus two penalty to hit outside of my normal range. So in a way, the removing the mechanics for it makes the narrative flow a little bit smoother. I found that too. Like I, when um, so Blades in the Dark was was the first game I played that where 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 we did combat without. Well, I wouldn't say it's the first game we played. World of Darkness too. We did combat without a grid most of the time, mm -hmm. but the combat in World of Darkness is oddly crunchy in some ways and very narrative in others yeah god i i have very rarely like strictly speaking used their combat system the way you're supposed to with mm -hmm. worrying about everything right say so that which is probably not of super super nostalgic for it maybe <laughs> yeah and then, and then, like the other one that kind of uses range bands that I think is valuable for people to know is Thirteenth um, Age, because that uses range bands in a fantasy game in a really nice way. It doesn't use a battle map, but it uses all the features you would expect that a game using a battle map would have, like area effects and range weirdly, bands and stuff like that. It's weirdly tactical yeah. combat for a game that is that has range bands. Let's. <laughs> A lot yeah, of, exactly. Yeah, a lot of the PPTA games that are that are uh, close siblings to Apocalypse World use range bands as well. I might as well just throw that in there. Hmm. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I think we've pretty much covered range bands then. So, yeah. what are our other options then? zones range bands the grid so i guess types of grids i don't know that there's a much difference between a hex grid and a square grid except for aesthetics i mean the number of people that can surround you there kind of is well before we get into then? types of grids i think we should talk about the effect on player psychology that having a grid has that's because fair. if you have a grid and it's very tight and 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 specific hmm. then <clears throat> there will be players who 
will make decisions based on like the exact range that they're at. Like I've seen players count off hexes on the map to, to see to see whether they're going to shoot at somebody far away or engage in melee mm-hmm. or you know other decisions like that. Like putting like putting the spatiality of the entire scene into a numeric system gives an avenue for it to be um, leaned upon mm-hmm. to an excessive degree. It's not necessarily a bad thing either, though, because I find that if you do check that information it feels a lot like what your character would be doing anyway like they'd be eyeballing the Uh, distance it's like can i actually make this shot i'm not really sure i can i I should probably just stab the guy who's right next to me kind Uh, of thing yeah the character but the characters are going to be estimating whereas the player is going to go tap 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 okay he's 17 hexes away i can make that shot well yeah i mean you're working within a narrative that the character is very highly skilled. They probably know their capabilities of what shots they can and can't make on a regular basis. And especially if you start throwing magic into the mix where it's like, well, not even just magic. If you have like a science fiction uh, game as well, like you probably actually literally have a range finder. So like, there's no reason you couldn't have, like, a heads-up display for your character to see how far away things are. True, but the point I'm getting at is the psychology of knowing that your target is three hexes closer to you to the, than when you would have a modifier versus the vagary of the GM saying, yeah, he's probably in medium range, is very different. Yeah, I think it is. I agree with that. I I just tend to personally find that can I actually do this within a reasonable um, chance of success? Like, players in general do prefer when they know what their odds are of doing something. Like, is this within my realm of competency to pull this off on a regular basis? Or is this like a a coin toss. If they find out it's a coin toss, they generally don't want to bother trying. Especially since that means if you miss the coin toss, it generally means you wasted your turn. You don't get to do anything. So most people are generally like, yeah, I, I want to know. So. But, but I think that's a good argument for not including a grid. You know, that 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 card point, point of saying like it's it's easier for all things all things considered for the GM does that say, yes, he's in medium range rather than have the player go through the analysis in the moment of whether they should shoot dude A or dude B. When like in the story, the story might, might want, like might kind of demand dude A be the target. But if dude B has a 30% higher chance to hit, the player will almost inevitably go for that guy. I mean, I know I would. And so there's, you know, you see what I'm saying? That there, there, there's, there could be a mechanical impetus where, where the, it, it, it doesn't quite track in the fiction. Um, and yeah, that's what I'm getting at. Having a grid changes how players do their risk assessment. Yeah, and I agree with that. I mm-hmm. think that in some cases, I mean, there are definitely players that enjoy that kind of. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying the change is good or bad. I'm saying really that you have to be aware of it and and oh, definitely. decide whether or not you want players to do risk assessment mm-hmm. grid based oh, yeah. or more, you know, fluid narrative based. Right. Yeah, well, it's I... very much so. You have to know who your player base is. If you don't know who your players are, then you're probably not going to make the right decision. So, yeah. Uh, that's tough. That's tough because I feel like you should make the right decision for your game. I, 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 hmm. 
Well, you, have a point, you have a point of knowing knowing who your audience is trying to be, like knowing who you're aiming at. I think that's a that's a really good thing. But I think sometimes also there's there's times when you have to make the decision that's right for the game. Oh and, yeah. But I mean like if you know who your audience is, you know what the game is supposed to be for them. If you have a point. game that you're building a game that it's not for anybody, or you're making a game that works a certain way, but you know it's not really going to appeal to any of the demographics that you're thinking of. Right. Who's it for? Like, if it's just for yourself, I mean, sure, go right ahead. Do whatever you personally prefer. But if you're aiming to sell this, then keep in mind that a game that is built in such a way that it appeals to a particular audience is just flat out going to do better than one that has a bunch of conflicting contrasting stuff that doesn't make any sense and doesn't work together very well uh -huh. yeah sure i agree with that. that that's sort of indisputable but i think what i think there's a case to be made for um necessary divergence or when for when there isn't there isn't quite an audience for the thing yet because there isn't the thing yet you know what i mean so mm -hmm. like there wasn't an audience for power by the apocalypse games until apocalypse World. until dogs in the vineyard or dogs in the vineyard yeah well apocalypse world i think more really hit the hit the zeitgeist exactly in the right spot for its time mm -hmm. you know like like the Mad Max thing was back on the rise and this happened and like people were energized by this, you know, wasteland type fantasy. And I think that got the rules into a lot of people's hands and they saw how good it was and what, you know, what could be done with it um, if the work was put in. Uh, and I, I think, unfortunately, a lot of people also saw just a mechanical rule set that you can reskin, which is not what that game is. Like there's, it, because it, it, the mechanics serve it's particular fiction, the mechanics are always going to be slightly different. You can't just reskin it. And it's like, th so that's what I'm getting at with like, there's sometimes you have to do something new because your game demands it. Like, that's how I think of combat and ashes because it's, it's weird. It doesn't look like combat in any other RPG because the demands of my game are different. And you know, initially I designed this combat system way back when just to s fulfill certain mechanical criteria. And as I developed the fictional side of my game more, the combat morphed with it and supported the fiction more. And with each rewrite and with this new one, it's definitely supporting the fiction more. But it's still, it still uses a grid, but it's a very s constricted one. Like movement is small, like players have move two. So they get to move it and they're the they're big areas, they're big zones, they're like city blocks, you know, a house. Um, because I'm representing a, a troop of characters per per uh miniature, I guess, per player. And each enemy is also a number of troops. And but to do this, it it, it makes it much more like something that looks like checkers or chess um rather mm -hmm. than a D, D board and so the positioning matters um and cover matters but it's very broad and very open to interpretation um and i don't i haven't seen a combat system quite like it yet so i i'm not 100 percent sure it works i mean it kind of works i know it kind of works but if people That's will the kind of get what I'm trying to have to do play testing. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, and I have. Just don't know. Yeah. Yeah, no, you you don't know. I I have play tested it a little bit. Um, but what what's really I guess the fear, my main anxiety is like I if if I'm explaining what I'm seeing in my head properly. And that's like until I do get blind play testers, that's you never know. That was a hell of a rant. I just went on. <laughs> That's fine. Well, if you're wondering what you people kept interrupting me for a bit ago, I was going to say, uh, I was actually going to agree to carve, but there wasn't a kind of 
if there was a good slot to slid it in. Uh, and it is a specific weirdness with me, which is as soon as I am counting squares, I am out. Of, I am checked out of the game. I do. I really dislike it. <laughs> it's the fastest turn off for a game for me. What are, well, what are the about those higher than the... six? Uh, just. Well... Kevor, you're about the furthest thing from a power gamer that there is. <laughs> that is probably true. <laughs> I mean, no, I think there are some... I, think, I believe there are some people who actively destroy themselves, but aside from that... <laughs> uh, yes. There's also players that don't play games with any conflict in them. Oh, yeah. No. I, that, that's, like, I, that's like as far away from power gaming as you can possibly manage. Yeah. I think. <laughs> That's all. That I suppose that's farther. But yeah, no, it's just a weird specific hangup I have. Oh, yeah. Far like games without combat, at least. I'm not sure if you can actually really have a game that has no conflict. Period. Well, they exist. <laughs> there, there are strange examples of these things. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. Right, so let's move on to the type of grids then. Sure. <laughs> okay. Square grids. Grids? Grids. Square grids. Yeah, the main difference between the square and the hex based grid is squares don't really have an easy way to deal with diagonal movement or area of effect. Like, they end up doing really weird things the center between one hex is always the same distance between another hex like it doesn't matter which one but the problem with hexes is that you can't go in a straight line in a lot of cases because there is no straight line you have to do sort of a zigzag motion and it's like that makes it really awkward so regardless of whether you using hexes or squares as soon as you have an actual mapped out grid, you're going to run into problems. Now, I kind of curtailed that a little bit in mind by making uh, each individual uh, square not be worth one to one ratio, but rather like two or three to one. So like moving horizontally or vertically is two points of movement moving diagonally is three because it's like a distance of 1.4 times as much the distance so it's close enough you're insane <laughs> yeah I was, I was gonna say that doesn't sound like it's simplifying anything no. <laughs> I, I didn't say it was simplifying it or at least i didn't mean to it, no. it it's that it it makes it more precise without getting too awfully clunky in the process like uh, i'm not sure not that's really, true there's not really an easy fix though no it's i it's which i which is why most it. i appreciate which is why it. most games which is why most games elect to ignore the hypotenuse problem that you're trying to solve and just straight up use whatever the polygon is on the grid. Yeah, I actually found that it it has a nice unintentional feature, but I actually rather liked it, is that every point of movement, basically a half point in this case, actually increases your movement distance, because if you have a movement of two, you can move one square like vertically or horizontally, if you have three, you can move diagonally, which gives you a larger range of motion. And it actually makes a nice growing circular pattern if you're doing uh, like area of effect abilities. It's, it's still kind of messy because you're still trying to make a circle out of squares. So it's not going to be perfect. But I kind of, it bugs me when something is grossly incorrect to the point that it's like, you can get there in half the amount of movement points if you just move diagonally, and it's like, that really bugs me. So, 
yeah, it's not going to bug everybody to nearly that same degree, but... This is so just far, a concession that you're not willing to make. Yeah. It's just one of those things that really irritates me personally, and the fix to it isn't that huge of a problem. Like, it, it, it's a little bit clunky, but it's not... It hasn't really had any problems, like, actually showing it to people, like, because I have, like, a visual indicator of it. As soon as they see, like, it all shown on a grid, like, oh, well, that makes sense. See, I kind of took the opposite approach. Hmm. Well, I plan to. Whereas when I get around to writing grid rules, it's going to ignore the actual grid. And I think I'm going to have it do... Um, I think I'm going to do like measured trajectories. So like if you're moving, you draw your path on the grid. So you know where you're going and where you were. And then you measure along that path with some kind of graduated string or whatever. What? That actually sounds more complicated than mine, oddly enough. It does, but String. Well, or tape measure, whatever. Like, basically, Bro. if anybody's played Mage Knight, that's you know, okay. every box of Mage Knight figs came with a tape measure. And that's yeah. the basic idea behind it. It's like, you didn't need a grid map, you just needed a table. Yeah, I can see the argument for using just measurements as well. Especially if you're like going around a corner or something using an actual tape measure or, or a piece of string, as you said, where you can just basically be like, okay, yeah, walk around it in this particular path. I mean, that's another method. It's not one of the grids, but it is a way to keep track of movement. Yeah. Wow. I think you killed Rob. Who, me? So I'm just <laughs> so if I ever play her game card, I'm just gonna ignore any movement rules. <laughs> Is that okay? <laughs> sure. I, I can I can I would consider the all the grid rules like entirely optional anyway, because grids fundamentally fundamentally are a visualization aid. They're not critical to the gameplay. Uh-huh. They kind of are that. from mine though. Oh, like for, for your game, they don't have like fixed ranges. It's just narrative. Huh? I I do have fixed ranges, but they're set up in such a way that they can be turned narrative. Like, I really don't want people. Um. Like making decisions based on those numbers. Like, because I want I want the gameplay to be narrative. I don't want players to ask, like, how many inches away is he? Like, I want it to be vague so that the players are thinking more like their characters would be, without the aid of this, like, concrete notion of the measured space. Reasonable. Um. Hmm. Okay. I'm, it's going to take me a minute to process. Okay. Well. That's totally fair. <laughs> in the meantime. I feel though. like I'm making a face like a chimp who just saw a magic trick. <laughs> <laughs> Abracadabra? Yeah, I'm very, very confused. Okay, so next to crossbow in your game, does it say 100 feet? Does it say medium range? Does it say a, a reasonable Are you asking distance me to crossbow out for to shoot? What's up? Are you asking me because you were cutting out there? You. I couldn't tell. 
Yeah, no, I'm asking. I'm asking you, like in your game next to crossbow, what does it tell you about how far a crossbow can shoot? Uh, every range weapon has five different ranges. There's point blank, short, normal, medium. <laughs> yes, I know. All the all the all the groundwork for doing this really crunchy is there. But I'm kind of leaning out of it. So, hmm. like, yeah, all those numbers are there, but I don't want players to mire themselves in them. Well, you were talking about the psychology of the grid earlier. What about the psychology of the range bracket, my friend? If you put range brackets That's in your game, that's the psychology of the grid is the same thing as is as the psychology of the range zone. Right, but like, where does my limit end, and where does where does the mechanics where do the mechanics adjust? Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. I'm like, because are those specific ranges? Is like point blank five feet, or is it point blank? Like, and you just sort of judge that based on the narrative like i'm in the same room with the guy it's a it's a it's a you know medieval tavern it's not going to be that big it's point blank is that how it goes or is it five feet um point blank generally is less than five meters okay so basically you're having issues because they might actually try to grab it out of your hand something like that and some things might not actually be able to reach their full speed in that distance. Yeah. So, okay. I'm actually kind of surprised that I have less crunch in that area. And as he said, it's optional, but yeah, it's still terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it's like I didn't even bother with it for the most part. It's like basically you have max range and some weapons might have a minimum range. Most don't. I mean, individual characters might have specific stuff that they can do differently. Like if you get into like an archery specialist, like they can do stuff like uh, I'm sorry for the down the rail question, but is the but what are the mechanics for stabbing someone with an arrow? Fucking Cavour, what are you doing? It's, this, <laughs> it's an extremely stupid question based on something that happened uh, in a game I was in where uh, we were using a very broad, uh, we were using a system that should not have been used for a fantasy game. <laughs> That resulted um, in it being practical would, for my character to step uh, people with arrows. <laughs> um, okay. I would say it's not a stupid question. It's kind of an edge case question. Yeah, it's an it's an edge case, but, but it's things that people will do after watching Legolas stab someone with an arrow and then knock the arrow immediately afterward. <laughs> or anyone that realizes an arrowhead is pointy and sharp. Yes. In that specific case, it was more, uh, uh, there were ru extensive rules for uh, having specialized uh, bullets, which were arrows, <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was practical to use the, the bonus effects on the arrows were extremely practical. <laughs> and I ended okay, up doing it things in a way that where I ended up in melee frequently, so I basically uh, cheated. <laughs> To answer the question, no, there are not rules for st stabbing someone with an arrow, but common sense would dictate that the damage for that would be somewhere less than a knife. Yes, it would be less than a knife and definitely oh, uh, how it specifically worked in that game, because darn, I, I don't really want to have this drill, uh, is technically speaking, there was damage from the bow and damage from the arrow we were using. Okay, never mind. Oh, uh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I feel terrible for this, by the way. I'm, okay, I, I'll actually mention that it actually normally wouldn't come up in my game because of some of the abstractions that I do. Like, keeping track of ammunition 
has never really been fun in any game that I've ever. Played. Yep. Yeah. So it all of the ranged weapons are magically powered. Like you basically draw back the the bow and the arrow appears in your hand as you make the motion. So you wouldn't actually have the arrow in your hand until you actually, you know, try to draw the bow. And in which case you've already got a drawn bow and just letting the bowstring snap without firing the arrow is generally not a good idea. I mean, you can... I appreciate you going full Final Fantasy on that. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I just didn't enjoy that. Like the, even in like MMOs, like where I've had it, like play World of Warcraft, and it's like, oh god, it's like the archer didn't bring any arrows. That that sucked so much. So many times I encountered that in like the old raids and stuff, and it's like, there's no benefit out of this. Like the only benefit is. It's a way to have a money sink, and if your arrows aren't expensive enough, then they don't even do that. And it's a way to keep you from being able to use the primary thing you're supposed to be using, like you bring the archer, because they're an archer. If they stop being able to do archer things, then they've kind of missed their point of being an archer. So it's not really all that enjoyable, so... It's it's a boring resource, so I removed it. Now, you can still get a quiver, though. But in this case, the quiver just lets you change uh, ammo types. Like, normally, if you had, like, just a bow, you could enchant your bow so that it always uses fire arrows. But if you have a quiver, you can basically uh, do the Hawkeye thing they did in the Avengers movies and just uh, switch out which arrow type you're using it in between every shot so you have something for every situation kind of thing. So quiver's still useful, but it doesn't hold on to your arrows. Neat. Like In my defense, I will say that all this crunchy shit that I have in my game isn't there for the sake of crunch. It's there uh, to support the narrative. Still. Uh, mentioning that it exists means that it is something you need to think about. Because I'm sorry. That's a little odd, but I mean, I can see where you're coming from. Personally, I, I'm willing to abstract some things that just aren't that big a deal, but one of the things that is a big deal in my game for why I use grids at all in the first place, like I could abstract a lot of this, but a large part of the game is um, positioning and repositioning. Like, a huge part of it is being able to knock um, enemies through walls and other terrain and stuff. If there's, like, a wall there, you can punch somebody through the wall. And it's a very simple setup for it. It's just the wall has so much health, you take so much damage for both yourself and the wall for so much distance you would have gone through the wall, except there's a wall in the way. If you do more damage than the wall has health, you keep going through the wall. There you go. It's, it's simple, but it's a neat effect because I like the concept of destructible terrain and being able to pull an enemy towards you or being able to, like have a sort of tanky character actually charge across the battlefield and shove the goblin or whatever they're fighting away from like their squishy caster mage healer or whatever like you can actually pick a an enemy up and throw them away from you kind of thing you can shove them so that they're not in the place where they were and this is a big part of the game because I happen to like that sort of thing, and I think it leads to really interesting narrative combat as well, because you can picture these fights where it's like, oh, there's a cobalt in front of me, I'm going to kick it so hard it it basically 
bowls right into like a dozen others and does like the bowling pin sound effect kind of thing. I I think personally, bless you for supporting that kind of action. <laughs> not, not enough fantasy games do. Yeah, but it's something that I think that should be in games. Like, if you're going to be like, oh, you're a super powerful wizard, you can strike lightning from the sky. It's like the warrior in most games, it's like, oh, you get a second attack, or you can attack multiple right. enemies that are in an area in front of you. It's like, I want to actually punt the fucker across the room. Which is great because cinematic combat like that is fundamentally more interesting than just players choosing the most advantageous tactic every round. Yeah, exactly. And if something looks good and they can picture it, then even if it's like really over the top and kind of silly, it doesn't really matter. I mean, you, you eventually wind up playing what may as well be demigods and eventually like literally gods at a certain point so it's like this isn't even that strange for them to do it's like i picture that you should have battles that look like they were made in bollywood <laughs> okay yeah. well that might be going a little bit too far for some people but point well, I'm, I'm sure it will but i like that yeah there's, a, there's definitely an audience for it I, I think it's stupid, but it's awesome. I mean, there's a big enough audience for this Gaia, where like literally one of the abilities is your care is uh, an angel dresses up in a really, really shaggy, iffy costume of Godzilla and starts breathing fire on like literal planes held on strings. And just destroys like a city block made out of cardboard. <laughs> it, it's stupid, but it's like, this is so amazing. I don't care. This is awesome. I'll let you have it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I get that. Just, I mean, if you're shooting for pure rule of cool, yeah. 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 That's, uh, that's... Yeah, but rule of cool is like candy. There's such a thing as too much of it. Oh, yeah. there, there definitely is. But at the same time, like how much is too much of a good thing is going to be different based upon the individual. And I mean, we know Disgaea did really well. I think there's a pretty good audience for it considering they've made five games so far and several others because there's several others that aren't directly in the series but basically are the same thing yeah so, and also need funny to references and stuff insane and to an insane degree <laughs> yeah oh. so i think i'm pretty certain that there is a large enough audience that would enjoy at least what i've kind of set up now i don't think every player is going to enjoy the same thing but I mean, you look at uh, shows like Dragon Ball Z, which was really uh, well-known, or One Piece, or even like a lot of fighting games, like, jeez, um, uh, like Soul Calibur, I suppose. There's another one I was trying to think of that's even more so. Blue. that's what I was thinking. People like that. Either way, those, either way, those kinds of maneuvers are very much in line with the aesthetics of your game so that makes it makes total sense yeah it's it's something that would work for my game i don't think people would accept it in dnd like they might on a natural 20 that's how they've been conditioned to be like oh well i rolled a natural 20 i can do something ridiculous now but otherwise it's like well i didn't get a natural 20 so i can't do something that stupid Yeah, so here we come back to player psychology. Yep. Rescue this, Rob. Oh! Because this is meant to be a short episode. Is there... <laughs> to close the thoughts, or is there something... I got my rant in, man. I, I got mine in. 
Um, all right. I think I just so. had mine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, probably. Haven't had any rant. Do you want to go back to the ranting or you got anything? Mark, uh, <laughs> Mark yeah. do, you, do you have any rant in you that you want to share with the class? Yeah, at this point, it doesn't uh, even have to be on topic. <laughs> probably should be, though. We're going, we're going to full dumpster fire on this one. <laughs> oh, oh, really? Um, um, don't you hate how they've been packing chip bags with more air and less chip? Yes. <laughs> I think everyone has. It gives it more room for them to God, I can't stand get it. crushed by just moving them around. Like I mean, every every chip bag should go to Pringles style. Right? And the price just keeps going up. I just can't take it. Are we running oh, no, the most... Yeah, we are. The the most ridiculous thing. <laughs> like the last time I went to buy soap. Like they changed it from a three pack to a two pack, and the bars were like two thirds of the size. Like, really? Uh. Yeah. Well, to actually get that sort of back on topic, since this is about like, you know, how much you get in stuff, what about like, you know, the stuff that you include within your game? Like, it, are you selling? A game with an included battle mat and like actual uh, miniatures or stuff like that like do you think that's actually a good idea and that people would value it more even if they have to pay a lot more for it i mean yeah i think if you include the opportunity like if you view your game as a product and you're like i want to eventually have started for this i think the more physical things that actually are uh you know pieces of your game that you can include in kickstarters and stuff like that the easier it is to package them bundle them and actually have a yeah. final like kickstarter bundle to present to people that you might be able to support yeah i i, I completely agree I, my vision for the final product of ashes has always been a box set like the old Forgotten Realm boxes, like mm -hmm. the second edition D and D boxes. Um, that's always yeah. like hardcover book inside. You know, uh, maybe a map. Probably not though. But like a couple of um, envelopes for the for the uh, legacy material. Um, oh, you're not going to go with a cloth map. Depends, man. <laughs> I I would like to go as extravagant, like have like just the 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 insane version like hand stitched goat leather book you know like if, if you do make that version make i suggest you make an alternative version that is actually affordable for people i don't know yes yeah, yeah no i'm not i wouldn't have that be the only one no. i mean you can but you only really need three versions total like one that's like pdf nothing included it's all for online player pull it up on your phone one that's super extravagant because most of the people that want to buy these kinds of things actually do want to buy really expensive versions mm. like they're it's really weird but like people that oh i'm one buy of them. games yeah. yeah but it's like people that buy rpgs they don't really care so much for the rpg for the money it's like oh i have to spend like 20 dollars on the book but it comes with this map so i'll spend like you know 800 because it's got like a, a the actual like bronze bust of the main character in it yeah some people do that yeah it's, and it's like yeah. why but but they do and it's like if people are going to buy like a physical copy they usually want a hardcover copy that's like really extravagant like they usually don't care about like just getting oh it's a soft cover it's it was cheap it was only like 15 bucks it's like they don't really seem interested in that for the most part unless they absolutely have to because they can't get a free pdf version if you have a free pdf version then you don't really need that tier no you i do i well okay so 
a couple of points on that. Like, so I'm one of those guys that definitely buys the, the special editions of games that I really like. Um, and uh, I don't have any super extravagant ones. Like the, the, the last vampire Kickstarter had ones that were like $800. I don't have any of that tier. That's, that's crazy even for me, but I do have like, you know, one of the nice call of Cthulhu ones that was like 70 bucks or, um, but I just like the look of them. I, I love the aesthetic of books and I, I like the, the look of them on the shelf. I like the way they feel like the way they smell, like all the book things about like the different ink, the texture of the pages, like, you know, I'm a bibliophile. Like I like books for the, for book's sake. Like I think they're mm-hmm. cool. And, you know, I, I've always wanted you know, to have something that I made look like that. It's all, it's always been, you know, part of the impetus for this um so i'll definitely want to do one you know but i think there's there's something to be said for the way savage worlds did it where they put out a ten dollar soft cover i think that's a really smart idea too and probably you know like just like a graphic novel style um i I think that's Hmm. that's a really like a really cheap, perfect bound book that you can sell for 10 bucks is a really good way to do it because it gets, it gets the rules into people's hands for a very low buy-in compared to many other products. And especially if, you know, the, uh, I, I've seen more players just pick up the Savage World book on a whim, you know? then like drop 60 bucks on a big hardcover that they haven't tried i mean just just from working at a game yeah. store i'm I'm telling you that's that's it's something i've noticed like we you, you had to cycle in savage worlds like yeah yeah well it's it's how accessible too right because as soon as you get it within like the realm of reasonable whatever the individual is they're more likely to pick it up. And there are people whose realm of reasonable purchases is a $60 game, but that is not it. So if you have different price and you say, for the people who can't afford a $50 purchase that doesn't necessarily, they haven't played, like they don't know what the experience is, but they can afford this and they want a full package, then I can provide that to them. But for those people that are like don't have any of those components, then here's the ten dollar version. Like, find some dice and you can play. And I think the more accessible you can make your game, the easier it is to sell to different people. Yeah, like a stripped down version. You know, you you don't have to have the full art. You don't have to. Yeah. You can do it in black and white. You know, all that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. and and just say here it is, and people can be like, oh, okay. I'll, Ten bucks. It's like, in not even that doesn't even buy lunch in some places anymore. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think the 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 most accessible one though is free. Which if you're printing stuff off, you can't do that. So mm-hmm. that's why you have like PDF copies that actually can be free. In mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily have to be a PDF either. Actually, I hate PDF as a format, but. It is unfortunately widely recognized and almost every computer can run it, even if I hate it. Yeah, it's apparently the standard. I don't know why we decided that. It is. Because Adobe had clout in the 90s, that's why. Yeah, that's probably it. Yeah, Yeah, unfortunately, it, it runs really slow. Like, it's a lot better on a browser, but then the browser can't use most of the features, and it's like, oh, this whole thing's a mess. But whatever. Anyway, before we get into another rant, is there anything else we have left cover on battle maps, really? <laughs> oh, yeah, that was the topic. Yeah, uh... <laughs> I mean, I could do a 10-second report on... No, that's just a game with zones. Never mind. Which one was it? Uh, I was going to refer to Magical Burst, my the game I hate. 
and I want, I like a lot of things about it, but I hate it. it you know that one. <laughs> I might as well say what it actually did. Um, it tried to, and to some extent, succeed in having, uh, basically all combat was took place in a five in a grid that it was. There were five zones. There were always five zones, and you always started. Player characters always started in zones one and two. Enemy characters always started in zones four or five. They can choose which zone they started in. That and really does sound almost yeah. like a Final Fantasy. Final Fantasy, setup. yeah. Like, that Classic was the Final Fantasy. It, They've moved away from that now. Hey, you know what had a movement system that really blew ass? Like, really thoroughly blew ass? Warhammer Fantasy 3rd Edition from Fantasy Flight Games. Holy shit. You want to see a convoluted movement system? This used tokens that you put in between characters uh, to track them. So you had this like gridless grid and then the engage. Oh my God, it was a nightmare. And if God forbid somebody bumped the table. Oh yeah, God, that sounds terrifying. The other game that had range bands was, um, but they did it in an interesting way, was the One Ring uh, from Cubicle 7, which is the, uh, the Tolkien uh, RPG. Uh, which was, in my opinion, almost good. Um, it got it did some things I thought really poorly. I I, I heard they did as another edition. I don't know if I don't know if they fixed anything that I thought was broken. But um, anyway, it doesn't matter. But what they did that was interesting was they made um, your position in a fight a narrative decision, uh, but based on how aggressive you were being. Uh, and so which set the target number for you to attack and it made that also your target number to be hit so if you wanted a really low attack value meaning it was very easy to strike you would be very easy to strike and if you want to be more defensive it would be very hard for you to hit in return and so you could mm -hmm. position yourself on this sort of it wasn't really a grid it was like a it was like a range band type thing but it was only relative to attack and defense was that really like like i'm i'm having trouble seeing how that has anything to do with spatial positioning in instead of just being a stance mechanic well the because because you had to narrate your way into the the stance change so you had to say you know i'm moving in front of you know my wizard friend and making it easier for the enemy to hit me, but I'm going to charge them and attack them. So you had to do that thing, you know, or you would say like, oh, I'm falling back, but you can only move one range band per change. I think some people could move more than one if they had a special ability or something like that. But you had to, you had to like say what you were doing and then, hmm. and then carry it through. Like, and it would, it would affect your, like, so it was strongly implied that the lower numbers were much more up in the enemy's grill you know like spatially that they were like either right on top of them or you know in in the greatest danger whatever that looked like you know i mean kind of makes sense i i can see that like it's very hard to be highly aggressive if you're half a field away not impossible but it, it's it's difficult yeah. Well, it was interesting because shoot, shooting had different rules. <laughs> oh. shooting, shooting had a fixed value. Oh, yeah. well, there's the almost good popping its right. head up. Yep. Yeah. Because they couldn't quite figure out how to make shooting work, like, across the board. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's, sort of, it's sort of weird the way they structured it. But, yeah. Doesn't matter, but I'm just saying it's 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 an interesting it's an interesting mode of considering gridless positioning. That's what I wanted Sounds to bring up. Yeah, it's something unique because I, I I don't I was I'm just trying to like rack my brain for like things other games have done. Um, yeah. So, is there anything else we can think of, or do you want to just keep giving yourself more editing? work at this point <laughs> <laughs> yes, I guess 
yeah, I guess that is what I'm doing at this point. <laughs> I just want to be thorough. I just want to be thorough, you know, for the lit one listener that's hanging in there <laughs> at this moment. Thank you for seeing your seeing this through. Yeah, at this point, I I get the feeling it's because they're away from their computer and they have a wireless headset. Like, oh God, I need to shut That's this. That's the off. same listener we've always had. <laughs> Captive audience, yes. <laughs> well, most podcasts are listened to in cars, right? That's the thing right? the people do. Yeah, that that's the definition of captive audience at that point. Yeah, you could you could have load up a bunch of different ones though. Like you, you can change the station. Oh, it's not a station, but you can change to a different podcast or even a different episode of ours if you're really feeling that um, masochistic. Or you could drive your car off a bridge. Yeah, don't do that though. Don't do that last one. Yeah, the insurance company hates that, especially if you're undead and you live through it. <laughs> <laughs> so you know i'm envisioning a game that's about life insurance agents trying to navigate their business in a world full of vampires <laughs> what is going on all right the horse is dead the horse is dead we have it is it's paced we're being we're being ourselves you should probably kill this Carted the meat off to the glue factory. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good night, everyone. This was terrible. (laughs) Only mostly. (laughs) I think this was one of our better episodes.